0: good morning everybody for those of you in the room if you're wondering that was my husband who just issued that (laughs) small but encouraging woohoo thank you for that thank you (laughs) good morning everybody it's good to see everybody in this room this morning thank you for being here i want to start by doing something a little bit different i brought a little piece of show and tell okay it's show and tell time this is a newspaper called the recovery times It's local, a local newspaper, local that is to the South Suburban Chicago region, um, or the greater Chicago region. A few weeks ago, somebody in Chicago was cleaning out their storage unit, and they ran across this paper, and they thought that my mother-in-law might want to have a copy of it. Because right here in the center of the paper is a full-page article that features a picture of her handsome son, and her adorable grandchildren, who were grandchildren back in 2013 when this first came out. They were much, much younger. Um, And a picture of me, her daughter-in-law. The whole page is dedicated to the stories of my mother and my adoptive father, who put their testimony into words with the sole purpose of telling people in the greater Chicagoland area of God's power to literally save lives and change lives. Both of my parents have gut-wrenching testimonies about how God rescued them from their former lives of addiction and violence and self-destructive behavior. So gut-wrenching are their testimonies that while I had long been aware of their stories, I I knew what God had rescued them from and what kind of lives they lived before Jesus. I, I knew about all of that. But back in 2013, when this first came out, I just couldn't bring myself to read it in print because ahead of its release, my mom had forwarded me a draft of her half of the article, her her story, where she mentions me by name, and she included my picture, and I hate to admit it, but I got about a paragraph in, and I had to stop reading it. It was too ugly of a story, it's an ugly story. It was too raw, it was too painful, and way too close to home. I didn't feel emotionally ready to read it in print, and so I didn't. That is, until about a week ago, when my mother-in-law sent me this copy in the mail. Over a decade after its release, with my mom passed on, and her words now immortalized in print, I finally sat down, to read her testimony more on that in a few minutes but for now as Jeff mentioned I get to kick off a brand new series this morning but before we really dive in I want to pray for us so Lord you're here you're already here I thank you for your presence I thank you that you (laughs) you ride in on our praises you inhabit our praises and so Lord I know my heart is primed and ready We are primed and ready to receive your word. I pray that that word would be like a seed that goes down deep. That sprouts roots that go deep. That change us from the inside out. That bear fruit in our lives. Teach us this morning what you would have us to learn about you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So we are kicking off a new series this morning and yes it is a 10-week series we're calling witness and i know what some of you are already thinking 10 weeks i hear you 10 weeks that's a long that's a long series what could be so important that we would want to camp out on this one subject for 10 weeks in a row well obviously it's jesus right (laughs) jesus is important to us here at grace church we want to talk about jesus for 10 weeks we want to see jesus I want to see Jesus, and I want to encounter Him with all of you. Now, there are lots of different ways that we can learn about Jesus. We can study His teachings, which we do. We study His teachings a lot here at Grace. We can marvel at His miracles. And we can learn about Jesus through the life-changing experiences of those who followed Him. That's what this series is all about. Over the next 10 weeks, we'll be looking at Jesus through the eyes of his disciples, exploring some of the transformative moments that his earliest followers experienced, from John the Baptist to Lazarus to Mary Magdalene and so on, others whose perspectives deepen our own understanding of who Jesus is. And along the way, it is our hope that you would encounter Jesus, that he would reveal himself to you in ways that will refresh you and encourage you and invigorate your faith. So with that in mind, I wanna call the ushers forward again. They're gonna be passing out cards to help each of you kind of engage your heart and your mind as we look at all of these stories together over the course of the next 10 weeks. Every week, you'll get a new card, but the questions on the card are gonna remain the same. So for those of you who are joining us online, uh, welcome. Glad that you're here. Now would be a great time to take a a moment to grab a pen and paper, something to write on, and jot down these three questions, okay? The questions are going to remain the same. We want to keep them in front of us each week of this series. So question number one is, how do I relate to the disciples? Each week as we look at these different characters, what part of their story do you relate to? Do you see any part of yourself in them? Can you relate to the way that they react to things or the things, the way they're feeling in a given moment? Do you identify with this disciple in any way? How do I relate to the disciples? Question number two is how did I encounter Jesus? Matthew 5, 16 says, "'Let your light so shine before men "'that they may see your good works "'and glorify your Father in heaven.'" glorifying god is something we say all the time right glorifying god means valuing him for who he really is and this is really important because we think about it all the time we give you glory glorify your name we give you glory what do we mean when we're singing that or when we say that giving glory to god means acknowledging god's true character and that's so foundational and so important i want to say it again giving glory to god means acknowledging God's true character. Throughout this series, Jesus is going to reveal his character to each of us. And as we see it, as we recognize these truths and we write them down, we are glorifying him. We're honoring him. Consider these note cards just an extension of your worship. We're ascribing weight and worth And value and glory as we acknowledge the true character of Jesus. How did I encounter Jesus today? What truth about himself did he reveal to me? And lastly, last question. What is God's invitation to me today? Throughout this series, we want to put ourselves in the story. We want to see Jesus as though we were first-hand witnesses of his life and times, just like his early followers were. We'll read it together in a few moments, but when Jesus says, come and you will see, that's a direct invitation for all of us as well. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Let me teach you, all of you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The invitation is extended to all of us today. So what's God's invitation to you? So keep these questions in mind as we begin this series today by taking a closer look at Jesus' invitation to those initial followers, to those earliest disciples. So open your Bibles with me, if you will, to John chapter 1. We're going to start down in verse 35. If you're using the house Bible that are uh, under the seat in front of you, if you're using the house Bible, that's page... 882. this is going to be our first stop we're going to stop first in the chapter chapter one of john as we look at the calling of peter nathaniel and later on we'll look at matthew however i can't talk about peter's calling without talking about his brother andrew and i can't talk about nathaniel without talking about his friend philip so really we're going to be looking at a handful of disciples this morning a handful of them and as we do we're going to try to look for the true character of Jesus as revealed through the encounters that each of them had with Jesus. So as you're turning to John chapter 1, I want to give you a little background. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist is baptizing along the shores of the River Jordan. He's calling people to repent, and he's baptizing people, and he's, he's announcing the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. Now you'll hear a whole lot more about John the Baptist next week, But for us this morning, it's important to recognize the role of John the Baptist in the calling of those early disciples, particularly of Andrew. So read with me in John chapter 1, starting at verse 35. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. When we look at the initial calling of those early disciples, sometimes we see Jesus passing by and directly calling individuals to come and follow him. Other times, we see other people playing a pivotal role in pointing others to Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist is doing here. He's pointing his own disciples toward Jesus. And this was highly unusual. Rarely, and only in extreme circumstances, would a teacher send his own students to go and start following somebody else. But here, that's exactly what we see John the Baptist doing. He is bearing witness that Jesus, that man right there, passing by right now, he's the one I've been telling you about. He is God's chosen one. Go follow him. And John's disciples did just that. They left John the Baptist behind, and they went and they started following after Jesus. Curiously, they approached Jesus. They asked him where he was staying, which was really just a polite way of saying... Is it cool if we hang out with you? And he said, Come. He issues the invitation immediately. No questions asked. Come, and you will see. Clearly, this was a life changing invitation for Andrew. Because Andrew, one of the first, one of the two disciples that was with John the Baptist that day, who had followed Jesus, Andrew became convinced that Jesus was exactly who John the Baptist said he was. Andrew had just gotten the opportunity to hang out with God's chosen one, and the first thing he did was go and tell somebody. Continuing in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Andrew is a witness. And verse 41 tells us the first thing he did was go and tell his brother Simon. We found him. We found the Messiah. And he brings his brother to meet Jesus. And when Simon is brought to meet Jesus, he's given a peculiar new name. Jesus calls him Cephas or or Rock. Simon was one of the most popular names a Jewish man could have in that day. He was just another Simon. But Jesus is demonstrating his own authority over Simon by issuing him a new name. What a curious honor that must have been. Peter had to have wondered, what does this rabbi see in me that he would call me Rock One chapter over, in John chapter 2, the writer of John tells us that Jesus knew what was in each person's heart. He saw to the very heart of who Peter was. Despite his low status, he was a fisherman. Despite his lack of education, Jesus saw Peter as a man of great strength and substance. There's a whole lot more I could say on the calling of Peter. And I will say it, On this week's episode of the Between Podcast, uh, Between Sunday's podcast, I had to cut so much for time, but that's why I love the podcast, because then I get to nerd out there. So if you want to hear more about the calling of Peter, uh, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or we're on YouTube now. You can find us there. (laughs) But for our sakes, we're going to keep moving forward. Continuing on in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip, Andrew, and Peter were all from the same hometown of Bethsaida, and the name Bethsaida actually means house of fishermen. So it's safe to assume that Philip was most likely a fisherman. And in this instance, Jesus calls Philip directly which again is remarkable because teachers or rabbis didn't typically call disciples to follow them either the disciple would ask the rabbi may i follow you can i learn from you or that disciple's parents would make an arrangement with that teacher my child is going to study under you my child is going to follow your teachings so rarely did a did a teacher call his own disciple But that's exactly what we see Jesus doing very directly. The picture we see here is one of Jesus finding Philip and putting his hand on his shoulder and looking directly into his eyes and commanding, walk behind me. Only on extremely rare occasions did a teacher call his own disciple and Jesus called Philip. The invitation was up close and personal and I want us to see that. Jesus' heart to Philip's heart, eye to eye direct, come and follow me. And look at what Philip does next in verse 45. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Philip goes and tells somebody. His encounter with Jesus was not something that he could keep to himself. He had to go look for Nathanael, is what the scripture tells us. He had his one friend in mind, He knew Nathanael had to meet Jesus. So when he does find him, sadly, Nathanael doesn't seem all that interested. And now he's got to convince his friend. Look at verse 46. "'Nazareth!' exclaimed Nathanael. "'Can anything good come from Nazareth?' "'Come and see for yourself,' Philip replied. I love that interaction. Isn't it just like a friend? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Just come on. Just come and see for yourself.'" Nazareth was a small town, it was a small inland town of about 1500 people, not a major metropolitan area like Bethsaida. To put it in our terms, how many of us in this room today are familiar with the quaint town of Sheridan, Indiana? Yeah, Sheridan! Danny, your town is twice the size of Nazareth, okay? (laughs) Twice the size. You got to think more like Arcadia, okay can anything good come from arcadia i'm sure lots of great things come from arcadia but you you get the point you get the point it was a small town it was a small town and immediately nathaniel is skeptical that anything worthwhile can come from such a small seemingly insignificant place but philip's enthusiasm must have been enough to convince nathaniel that okay I'll, i'll go see for myself verse 47 As they approached Jesus, as they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him. Do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? (laughs) You'll see greater things than this. Nathanael's encounter with Jesus is remarkable. He goes from cynic to true believer and all because he believed that Jesus had seen him. Somehow, Jesus saw him under that fig tree and Jesus knew what kind of person he was. Jesus knew the inside of him. Nathanael's friend, Philip, had given him the invitation to come and see for himself. And what he saw in Jesus was exactly what Philip had said, that this was the one whom Moses and the prophets had written about. This man, Jesus, from the small podunk town of Nazareth, was the Son of God, the King of Israel. John made sure to include these powerful stories in his gospel to show us that Jesus is all knowing that he knows what's in each person's heart and that he alone has the power to transform that heart. And perhaps nowhere is the power of God to transform a heart more evident than in the calling of Matthew the tax collector. So turn with me now, back a couple of books, to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse 9. Again, if you're using a house Bible, that's page 806. Tax collectors were synonymous with thieves and extortioners. They were known to steal from their own people in order to pad their own pockets. They were slimy characters. And to make matters worse, they were agents of the Roman government. Tax collectors like Matthew were Jews collecting money from other Jews to give to the enemy. Tax collectors were despised as traitors to their own people. What could Jesus possibly want with a traitor, a traitor in his camp? We read in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew knew his role in society. He knew he was an outcast. He knew that he had been betraying his own people. And it must have surprised him to have been given this personal invitation by this holy man, this rabbi, to come and follow after him. How would you react if you were Matthew sitting at your tax collector's booth actively cheating the people? You would know how how unworthy you were to be invited to follow this man you would know how hated you were by society. So what would you do with an invitation like this? Well, Matthew knew exactly what to do. The first thing he did was go and tell somebody. Actually, he told lots of somebodies. We read in verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to come to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I always wonder if Matthew heard that. Did he hear the Pharisees call him and all of his friends scum? And if he did hear it, oh, how embarrassing. How awful did he feel in that moment? The religious elite were so quick to remind him and everyone else who Matthew really was in their eyes. To them, Matthew would always be the scum of the earth. But Jesus doesn't see it that way. Listen to the way he responds to the religious elite in verse 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come To call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Doesn't that last line just take your breath away? Jesus said, I have come not to call those who think they're righteous, but to call those who know that they're sinners. If I'm Matthew, and I'm at this banquet that I'm hosting at my house, and I just invited this great teacher and all of his followers and all of my friends, now I know I just heard what Jesus said. He didn't come for the healthy, He came for the sick. Now I know that Jesus didn't invite me because He saw my potential, and He didn't invite me because I had money or power or influence. He came to me because He knew I was sick and He saw how much I needed Him. And still He invites me to learn from Him and be His disciple. He's the doctor, and I'm the one in need of healing. And he knew i was sick when he called me that's powerful he sees me sinner that i am actively sinning and invites me anyway in matthew's case as in the case of nathaniel and peter and andrew and philip jesus called his disciples from exactly where they were no matter where they were, from the poor and the uneducated to the doubtful and cynical, even to the greedy and deceitful. Jesus gives the invitation to follow him freely to all who would simply come. Think about it. Jesus welcomed Nathaniel, someone whom he had identified as a man in whom there was no deceit, a true son of israel a real israelite a good guy jesus saw that in him a good guy and invited him but at the same time jesus called matthew a man who built his whole life on deceit a traitor to israel he and nathaniel couldn't have been more different and yet jesus called them both to come and follow him how could both men have been given such an invitation to learn from Jesus and to follow him. And who is this Jesus that he sees through to the very heart of every soul, every person? We learn about Jesus through the life-changing experiences of those who followed him. And from these stories, we can see That Jesus sees us. It's one of the truths that he reveals about himself. He sees us and he knows our own hearts. And it doesn't matter if he sees a heart that is true or a heart that is twisted. He still extends the invitation to come and follow him. Follow me, he says. Come and see. Come and bear witness to the things that are true about me. Witness my power to seek and to save that which was lost. And then go tell somebody. Witness my power to heal the sick. And then go tell somebody. Witness my power to raise dead things back to life. And when you do, you are going to want to go and tell somebody. Come and bear witness to the things that are true about me. And then go. And tell somebody. Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world. That's you. (laughs) Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Giving glory to God means acknowledging God's true character. And that's what it's all about. If you're in this room, if you're listening to this message and you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, this is what it's all about. We reflect His light out to a world that doesn't know him. We reflect his light to the whole world. We give him glory by telling the world the truth about who he is. This is the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it doesn't mean that we're all preachers. It means that like the disciples, we share our stories with one another. And with our families and friends and coworkers and neighbors, we share our stories with our communities and throughout the world, wherever we may find ourselves. Because that's how the world is going to encounter Jesus. They'll encounter Jesus when we start telling the truth about what he has done for us in our lives. We learn about Jesus through the life-changing experiences of those who follow him. This written testimony that I have it's just a continuation of that sacred call, of that great commission. My mom had a life-changing experience with Jesus, and she wanted to tell somebody. She wanted to tell a lot of somebodies. She was bold enough to tell the truth about what God had done in her life, even though there's really nothing pretty <laughs> about her testimony before she met Jesus. And I feel it's important to share it with you, because I want to take us out of this almost cathedral-like or museum mindset, right? All morning, we've been talking about St. Peter and St. Matthew and Nathaniel. We've been talking about these disciples of old and seeing Christ through their eyes and the encounters that they had with him. But when we talk about being a witness, viewing Jesus through the eyes of his followers, that also includes us and people like us, our family, Our own stories. And so with that in mind, I want to share just a little bit of what she put in the newspaper for all of Chicagoland to read. She wrote, as a sweet little church girl, I never imagined I would someday be where I was. I was 21 years old, three months pregnant, single, in fear for my life, and all alone because my live-in drug dealer boyfriend had just been murdered. I remember my 21st birthday, I was pregnant again, but this time I decided that I'm keeping the baby. I didn't care what my boyfriend said, I was going to deliver in September with or without him. Now let me pause here for a minute to introduce myself. My name is Maren Gaffron and I am the baby she talks of in this message, or in her testimony. She continued. I figured that my boyfriend might leave me, but I never imagined that he would leave me as a victim of a drug deal gone bad. The coroner described his cause of death as a gunshot wound to the chest. How did it come to this? I was left pregnant, mourning, and all alone in my apartment. At this point, I just wanted to fall asleep and remember nothing. During all of this, my parents and the people they knew at church were praying for me. As a child, I heard many Christians testify that they could feel prayers. Oh, I could feel your prayers, I felt your prayers. Thank you for praying, I felt your prayers. And so I prayed, is it possible, God? Is that possible, that I could feel their prayers? And if so, let me feel their prayers and put me to sleep. She says, I'll never forget it, instantly. God completely wrapped me in a hovering cocoon of indescribable peace. God's peace. It felt so wonderful. I enjoyed this beautiful presence. She told me that story a lot. She shared that story with a lot of people. That in her darkest moment, she said it felt like she was suspended in a hammock of peace. She said she felt like she was floating. And her prayers changed from just let me fall asleep, just let me fall asleep, to let me stay awake. Let me stay awake and enjoy your presence. That night, she says, I was forever changed by a loving touch from a real God who gave me peace beyond my understanding. In the days that followed, I had a deep experience with God. I repented of my past, and guess what? He forgave me. God delivered me, and He can deliver you too. And I'll be the first one to tell you that my life has not been perfect It still has its trials, but God uses them to draw me closer to him. God guides. He helps us. He heals us. Every day is a testimony to his power, his awesomeness, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love. That's what my mama wrote. a very abbreviated version (laughs) of her testimony, which is by extension, my testimony. The story that I had been so hesitant to read, the story that I had avoided reading for 10 years, now reads like this, my mother bears witness that Jesus is forgiving. She bears witness that Jesus is present even in the darkest of moments. She bears witness that Jesus restores, that Jesus gives peace, that Jesus silences fear, and that Jesus listens to the prayers of his people. She's writing a testimony, bearing witness to the truths of God's character. And in doing so, she is bringing Him glory, even now after she's gone. Her story bears witness that Jesus heals. Jesus saves. Jesus gives life, meaning, and purpose and direction. Jesus takes horrific situations and redeems them for His glory. And Jesus seeks after those rebellious hearts like hers and like mine that wandered far from Him. And He calls them again again and again and again softly and gently come home come and see jesus rescued my mom when she was sick and needed a doctor when she was dead he brought her back to life and he did the same for me and throughout through her story the true character of Christ is revealed. She has since passed on, absent from the body, but present with the Lord. And I live to bear witness to what God has done and what He longs to do for every heart that'll simply accept the invitation to come and see. Come and see. Oh, that we would all be as bold in our witness that we'd stop trying to hide our light under a basket, that we would stop hiding from one another and start telling the truth about what God has done in our lives. You don't have to write it in the paper. Just go tell somebody. We learn about Jesus through the life-changing experiences of those who follow him, his disciples of old, and his disciples that are here today, listening today. This is how we learn about who Jesus is. Like Andrew to Peter saying, we found the Messiah. Like Philip to Nathaniel saying, come and see for yourself. We are those witnesses. We've gotta go tell somebody. We gotta tell them about Jesus. It could change their life. Our testimonies are powerful. Scripture tells us that we overcome the enemy by what, church? By what? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. Our testimonies are powerful to defeat the enemy. When we let our light shine, when we stop hiding and let our light shine, darkness has no power over us anymore. Hallelujah. We have nothing to be ashamed of. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Some of y'all need to go tell somebody. And some of you need to go ask somebody. I know that on any given Sunday I'm talking to as many many Nathaniels as I am Phillips. There are skeptics in our lives, and if that's you, if you you don't get it, if you have questions, go and ask somebody who follows Jesus, ask someone you trust. And when someone does ask you, be ready to give an answer. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses 15 and 16 say, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. (laughs) If someone asked you about the hope that you have as a believer, could you explain it? Some of us are a little rusty and we need to practice sharing our testimonies, sharing our stories. We might even need to do what my mom did and write it down, write it down to share with someone. Practice sharing your stories with one another. Do it now, bear witness, tell of all that he has done. Let his light shine through your unique story. Your story is your own. No one has it but you and it is powerful to silence an enemy and bring hope to someone who desperately needs the hope that you carry. Tell your story. Tell your story. Let your family see your story. Our redemption stories echo down through the ages, giving God glory from generation to generation. We are still part of that one unified story that leads to Jesus. And we bear witness that his kingdom has been inaugurated. It has already begun here on this earth as it is in heaven. And how do we know this? We know because we've seen Jesus through the eyes Of those who follow him and we testify to his presence in our own lives that Jesus does know us he does see us and even as we are he invites us to simply come come and see come and see let's pray give us boldness Lord take away fear Lord God, there are so many people who need to hear in real time why we carry the hope that we carry. I pray, Lord, that even now for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, that even now you would put in our minds someone like Philip going to look for Nathaniel so he could tell him. Put in our minds someone that we can go look for so we can tell them about who you are, the truth of who you are, and who you have been to us in our own lives. Give us boldness and fearlessness. And for the skeptics who are listening, Lord, may they think of someone that they can ask, what's this all about? Why do you believe in that? How did you ever get through that dark season in your life? What brought you through? Why do you, why do you insist on holding on to this faith? Lord, may we be honest and open and when we are asked, Lord, may we be ready to tell our stories that bring you glory with gentleness and no fear. I pray, God, that even this week, maybe even today, you bring someone across our path that we can recognize we need to go tell somebody. We need to tell that somebody. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit says and eyes to see, and may we not just be listening and attentive on Sunday mornings, but may we always be listening and watching for the move of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Make it happen, Lord, for your glory. Tell the world what is truth about you, what is true about you, and do it through us, Lord. I pray in your name. Amen.